0: The pause. I have so got a slide that I want you to see. So, Kip, I'm going to take out and I'm going to try to redo that again. Okay, let's see if we can do that. Yes, this is totally self centered in this first slide. Um, so you'll see if I ever get it there. <clears throat> there he is. <laughs> there 's a little Zion, Tammy, did you sneak that slide into my sermon presentation? I wonder if she did that, because i 'm sure I never would. <laughs> you know, I would not do that on my own I... okay, maybe maybe I would, so yeah, she is. so anyway, <laughs> I had to show you that the joy of our lives, and we are so thrilled to have another grandchild. I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark. We continue our journey through this m- book, that the shortest of the four Gospels, that really emphasizes the fact that Jesus is the servant of God. And so I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 4. As you're doing that, I recently read about this mom. She posted this. She said, this morning, my teenage son was complaining about his ear hurting. So I asked him, on the inside or the outside? So so he walked out the front door for a moment, came back in, and said, both. <laughs> she, wrote, she wrote, moments like this make me wonder if maybe I'm just saving too much money for the college. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to touch that one. But this morning, we are going to talk about something very closely related to ears, because we're going to talk about hearing. Now I'm not talking about physical hearing, which isn't always possible for some, but I'm talking about biblical hearing. And what we'll see this morning, it has actually very little to do with one's physical ear, but it has everything to do with one's heart. Now as we've seen in Mark, the last few weeks, we seen that Jesus, because of his miracles, he was drawing huge crowds of people. Some came from as far away as 120 miles because they wanted to be healed. And the people, of course, were focused on this physical healing, and that's very understandable. But Jesus was focused on something different. He was focused primarily on preaching. He continued the message, the one that we saw when we began the book of Mark, that Jesus started at his uh, beginning of his earthly ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when he, when he preached this, he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But what do you do if you're Jesus, and the crowds become so plentiful, they become so big, so large, that you can hardly make yourself be heard? Well, since they were in Capernaum, which is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus knew exactly what to do. That brings us to our passage, Mark chapter 4. Let me read the first two verses and have you just follow along. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it, in the sea, or excuse me, on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Okay, so Jesus, to get a little bit of separation from the crowd so that he could proclaim the message he was preaching, he got into a boat out from the shoreline a little bit, and of course we know that that, first of all, gave him that physical separation so he could proclaim his word more clearly. Also, we all know, if you've ever been on a lake fishing, or some of you may have the privilege of living on a lake, sound carries really w- well over the water, doesn't it? So that also probably helped to amplify his voice. And then, of course, just the, the physical uh, lands, as the lands would slope upwards from the shoreline, that would allow more people to be able to look down to where Jesus was on the boat, Also, that he could again Remember, his primary focus. He did the physical healings. He loved people. He changed lives by that. But he was focused on something much more eternal. And so he was focused on preaching. But you probably noticed it there. He did something different in his preaching, something different in his teaching on this one here. Because it says that he taught them, in verse 2, in parables. Well, (laughs) We're familiar with that term, but but what is a parable? A parable is a story using everyday experiences that teaches a central spiritual lesson. I want you to really grasp that concept of a central spiritual lesson. I think that is key whenever you're looking at one of Jesus' parables. Always look for that main lesson, that main focus of what he's trying to teach. So that doesn't mean that there won't sometimes be uh, sub-points or other lessons from the parable, but don't get caught up in trying to spiritualize every single word and every item that he uses in this everyday uh, experience. The example, because some people, they just try to spiritualize it all, and that messes it all up. Look for that main spiritual point. Because Jesus always had one with the lessons, or with the parables. So keep that in mind. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, we saw that we were were studying about the section, and Mark put the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, kind of a difficult passage that we covered, but Mark put that right in the middle of a passage that dealt with Jesus' family. So we... We talked about the family thing, and then he had this teaching about the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Spirit, and then he went back to the, to the, with the family, things that were going on with that. So I talked about the fact that Jesus sandwiched, the, I mean, the so Holy Spirit sandwiched that right into the middle of this thing with family. So I talked about sandwiches. I'm sure all of you went home and had a peanut butter and jam sandwich, just right? Okay, so maybe not. But I don't want to be accused of being too repetitious. But Mark does the same thing in today's passage. He sandwiches something right in the middle. Well, again, I don't want to talk about sandwiches all the time. So I want you to focus on this delectable little item. I don't know. if Hopefully you can see that. Um, this is an Oreo cookie. Now, Oreo cookie is actually, if you think about it, and I probably think way too much about food, but if you think about an Oreo cookie, <laughs> it's actually made up of two cookies, right? There's top and a bottom, and then it has a creamy filling in the middle. Now, there are, there's, there's controversy here because there are different ways to eat an Oreo cookie. Some people just take a bite just the way it is like this. Mmm, mmm, mm. That's really good. No, I don't have enough to pass around, so no, I'm just going to keep eating. Now, who, who, eats, who eats an Oreo cookie just the way I did? Just, you just bite into it. Who does it that way? That's the way I prefer it. And I'd say that probably 40, maybe half, 50% of you are that way. But there's another way to do it. I'm not talking about the milk because I don't have milk. I'm sorry. So, there's another way to do it, though. Some people tear it; they take it apart. Yeah. Yeah. They eat the creamy way. filling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way. Oh, yeah. 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 And I feel feel so bad that I am. So, so that's how some people eat. Now, who eats their Oreo cookie by tearing it apart? Okay, so, yeah, so we're kind of split pretty well down the middle there. But again, I don't want to be locked in, or I don't want you guys to say, boy, Rick just repeats himself. I'm not talking sandwiches. I'm talking Oreo cookies today. (laughs) But what we are going to do is we are going to look at our passage today by looking at the, we're going to delight in the creamy filling in the middle first, and then we'll focus on the rest of the cookie. So, point number one, the creamy filling. The reason for Jesus' use of parables. So we're going to skip down all the way to verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Mm -hmm. It's a bit cryptic, isn't it? You see, the Old Testament passage that Jesus is that he's referencing there is, is Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you know that passage because that's where the prophet, he saw, he had this vision of the Lord sitting on his throne and then he heard God ask the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And of course, Isaiah's response is, here I am, send me. And then, But then God told him something that when we're starting a ministry, is isn't necessarily what we want to hear, but it was really important. God told him that it would be a very difficult ministry because the people would hear, but they would not understand. They would see, but they would not perceive. And so Jesus, he used parables for two reasons. First of all... These stories, these everyday experiences, he did them to hide the truth of the word of God from the hard-hearted, prideful people who thought that they were too wise to be taught. They had intentionally closed their eyes and their ears and their hearts and their minds to God and to his word. And so these parables would make no sense to them. It would hide the truths from them. Second. Though, the, conversely, he used parables to make the spiritual truths of God clear to those who wanted to learn and to be taught. It, it's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. not just talking about little children per se, but he's talking about those who are more spiritually innocent, those who are more eager to learn. If one wanted to know, if they were truly eager to understand what Jesus was teaching them, the parables would make the spiritual truth very clear to them. So Jesus used parables for that reason. So keep that in mind. Whenever you come across a parable, understand that. To block the truth from the hard-hearted, to reveal the truth to those who wanted to learn. And so we use those everyday experiences to do that. So that's the creamy, creamy filling <laughs> of our cookie. Well, let's progress in our cookie delight. The first side of the cookie Oh, you laugh, but I still have it. (laughs) So, the parable given. Let's go back up to verse 3, and I'll read through through 8 and have you follow along. Listen, behold... And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. With the exception of the prodigal son, I suspect that this is probably the best known of all of Jesus' parables. Now, in Matthew 13, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 13, Jesus called this the parable of the sower. Hence, your Bible probably has a heading there at the beginning of the chapter four says the parable of the sower. And that's how we know it. Because even I know this. It's a good idea to side with Jesus on everything. Right? He's never wrong. So if he calls it the parable of the sower, we're going with the parable of the sower. But if it wasn't that he had said that, it could also be called the parable of the seeds. And what I would actually think, maybe even more, I don't want to say proper, because again, I'm going with Jesus, parable of the sower, but I think that the parable of the soils, because really, there was one sower in those verses we just read, sowed the same seed. And the only difference throughout those were the different types of soil. There were four soils that he mentioned the path. Right, which, but that was packed down and it was too hard for the seed to penetrate and establish any roots there. Their second soil is the rocky ground, and and that the, it wasn't just like they threw it on top of rocks. What happened, that area is really prominently uh, has limestone. And so what often happens is the limestone gets covered by a little bit of dirt, just a little dirt though. So it's not like you see all rocks. But as the seed was sown there, it might might penetrate and even start to form a few roots, but it's such a thin layer of dirt that they can't reach down deep and begin to draw nourishment and moisture that the plant's going to need. The third soil, well, that's the thorny ground. The seed takes root, but then these more robust weeds and thorns, they grow up, Every gardener here knows exactly what I'm talking about with that. They grow up and they choke out the seed that had been planted. But then there's the fourth soil, the good soil. That's what gives the seeds and everything they need to produce a great harvest. In fact, it's really interesting. I didn't know this before, but in that region and during that time period, a harvest of Of eightfold, in other words, eight seeds to every one that was planted, that was a really good harvest. Uh, A ten-to-one harvest or a tenfold harvest, that was exceptional. A 30 or 60 or 100-fold harvest that Jesus mentions here, well, that wasn't possible (laughs) without the blessing of God, which I guess really is kind of the main point, or one, of the, really the point of what Jesus is saying in regards to this. In fact, I thought this is so interesting. He talks about that, but the verbs in verse 8, growing and increasing and yielding, they are in a tense. You don't have to worry about the Greek stuff on this, but they are in a tense in Greek. That means to keep growing and keep increasing and therefore will keep Yielding an otherwise unimaginable harvest. So, again, this is just extraordinary what Jesus is talking about here. Look at verse 9 with me. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Seven times in this passage, Jesus used the word hear. (laughs) Seven times. Even I can figure that must be pretty important in this passage if he uses that word over and over and over again. But again, he was not talking about the physical hearing. went so much beyond it. He was talking about spiritual hearing. Not everyone that was present that day could hear the words of Jesus because their hearts were too hard. Only those with an openness... To Christ's words, could hear. And to hear, to to really hear, it means to understand. We could paraphrase verse 9 like this Whoever has a heart open to understanding, let them understand. It's not about intelligence, not about training. It's not about education. It's not about position in society. It's about having a heart open to Jesus Christ and his word. And that openness will allow one to understand. And true understanding will lead to a changed life, which we'll see as we eat the other side of the cookie. And no, I'm not going to do that because I hate having crumbs all over me and everything like that, but... I'll save it for later, so I'm good. But the second side of the cookie is the parable explained. Skip down to verse 13 with me, and let me read 13 through 20, please. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, there's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and its deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Jesus explained the spiritual lesson of the parable. So Jesus, we know from other Gospels, he is the sower. We know here from what he says that the seed is the word of God. And the four soils then, they represent four types of people, which in turn represents four types of hearing or Understanding as we talk about in regards to that. So first of all, the path people, well, they hear the word, but it makes no impact, right? Their hearts are too hard to let the word affect them. Satan immediately snatches it away from them before it can take any root at all. The rocky ground people, well, they hear the word, but it has no lasting impact. It says that they actually receive it even with joy, but since there's no root system, the hardships of life overcome them, and they fall away. The thorny ground people, well, they hear the word, but it is not as important as earthly concern, concerns. It seems like they are doing well. They, they seem to have accepted the word, and, and it seems like they were even changed by it, but then money and possessions and other concerns of this temporary earthly life, they take priority for them. And so they produce no fruit. Number four, the good soil people, they hear the word and produce much fruit. The word takes root. It goes down deep into the soil and it can stand against, therefore, the attacks of Satan. It can withstand the trials and the difficulties of life and even the persecutions that person might face, it remains the primary focus of their life. They're not distracted. It doesn't get, they don't get sidetracked. They don't relegate it to some afterthought. And because of that, what it does for the good soil people is it bears fruit. It bears much fruit, 30 or 60 or 100 fold. And like we said, that is impossible, except for God and what he does. In fact, I want you to notice again the emphasis on hearing, Verse fifteen, he says, "When they hear." Verse sixteen, "When they hear the word." Verse eighteen, "Those who hear the word." But this is, I think, is really interesting because every one of those is in the aorist tense. Again, I'm not going to bore you with Greek details here, but you just kind of need to know this: the aorist tense is the simplest form in the Greek language. Proverbs, it's the simplest verb tense. And what it means is this completed action. It means it's done. That's it. It happened. Doesn't carry on any results. Doesn't have any lasting impact. It doesn't have any reoccurring thing. It was just done. So they heard it. They heard it. That's it. Nothing else going on in regards to that. So the first three soils, they hear the word. Eris tense. But that was it. It was done. It was complete. It had no lasting or life-changing results. But the ones who hear in verse 20, it's just as we saw in verse 8. And again, it's a Greek tense that talks about continuing action. And so the ones, the good soil people, in verse 20, they hear the word and they keep hearing the word. It's not one and done. It's a continual Ongoing hearing of the word. And so they keep hearing it. They keep accepting it. They keep bearing fruit over and over and over again because they're the good soil. Now, I don't think I can overemphasize this. So I am going to say it again. A parable is a story using everyday experiences that teaches a central spiritual lesson. And the central spiritual lesson of this is that true faith will always persevere and therefore will always produce fruit. I know, I know this can be a hard saying because we're like, well, what about the third soil? We're always kind of trying to look for loopholes here. What about the third soil? It sure sounds like they were saved. It, it, it sounds like they were doing good until, until the cares of this world choked that out. So we ask ourselves questions like, you know, were they saved? I don't know. Because that's not the main point of the parable, trying to decide whether they are in or out. I think we need to let this parable speak for what it speaks, and not let it, or not try to make it say what it does not talk about. This parable is about the good soil. It's about being one who hears and keeps on hearing. It's about being one who accepts and keeps on accepting. It's about producing fruit. And keeping on producing fruit. And we look at that. And I don't know if it's true, but sometimes I struggle. I look at that and I think, man, oh man, I don't know if I'm producing fruit. I mean, I'm trying to live for God. I, I want to be faithful and true, but, but really, I don't, I don't know that I see any fruit in my life. Let me put it like this. If, if you struggle with that, make it as clear as I can. If you are the good soil, a true follower of Christ, then you are producing fruit whether you know it or not. You see, the fruit and the harvest, they aren't yours to measure or determine. That's God's department. I'm really glad it is. We can leave that to him. I've I probably shared this with you before because it's one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon. And I remind myself of it often because, truthfully, I do, it to, I do it to encourage myself because I struggle with the same things that you probably do. And so if you're like me, I hope that it will encourage you the way it encourages me. This is what Spurgeon said. Remember, you are only accountable for your labor and not your success. So still toil on. And so, my friends, in the midst of the battle, keep on toiling. As you continue running the race that is set out before you, keep on on toiling leave the amount of the fruit leave the harvest amounts up to God don't focus on that that's not your responsibility your responsibility is to toil on because if you're the good fruit you will continue to do that your obligation is to be a true hearer of the word so let me ask you it's, it's what I entitled the sermon how's your hearing how's your hearing I pray that it is good and that you will always be open to the word of God and the changes that it will make in your life. And I pray that the fruit, it will continue producing in your life as God works in that. Remember, <laughs> you're not accountable for your success. You're accountable for your labor for Jesus Christ. So toil on. Keep toiling on. That's how we know that we are the good soil. Toil on. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you. There's questions that we have when we study a parable like this. We don't understand it all. Would you help us to not worry so much about trying to figure out how it might apply to other people? And would you help us instead to focus on our relationship with you? Help us to be good soil people. Help us to hear, to continue to hear, to continue to understand, and to continue to be changed by it. And God, help us then to continue to persevere, to continue to run the race. And I rejoice that we may not know the amount of fruit. We may not know how Bountiful the harvest is, but we can rest assured that you will produce fruit in our lives because we are trusting in you. So please, Jesus, help us toil on. In your name I pray. Amen.